Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is MPB News. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Monday, October 5th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, the Secretary of State's office prepares for Election Day. And a federal ruling extends the census count until the end of the month. Then members of the Emmett Till family receive a nomination for the Congressional Gold Medal. Plus, MPB Education kicks off a new classroom. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippians will be heading to the polls in less than five weeks to cast their ballots. And although the average number of new COVID-19 cases has declined since a summer spike, the chief executive officer over elections says safety at the polls is still a top priority. Secretary of State Michael Watson tells our Ashley Norwood his office is using the old Mississippi trademark as a staging area in a plan to equip Mississippi counties with the protective gear they need for election day the department of agriculture waited actually to tear this thing down for a couple of reasons but one uh, obviously was to to be helpful uh, to us and so we got all of our supplies delivered here Uh, if you look around now you'll see all these pallets Uh, so the national guard asks us to palletize each county's uh, separate allotment of supplies Uh, So if you were here looking around, you would see obviously tons of pallets with plenty of gloves and sanitizer and face masks and cleaning supplies uh, all stacked up and boxed up. And they will be uh, starting delivery today uh, to nine distribution points across the county, uh, across the state, excuse me. And then each county will be uh, coming to pick their supplies up within the next few days. So hopefully by Tuesday, every county in Mississippi will have all of their election supplies for the precincts. How much money went into purchasing all the supplies? Yeah, so we uh, had an allotment of $4.7 million from CARES Act funds from the federal government. Uh, as I mentioned to you a little bit earlier, $2.5 million of that uh, was committed to the counties. Uh, for them to make sure, listen, if there's something locally that you want, uh, that you feel like your uh, citizens in Jackson County or in Hines County or in Humphreys County uh, would, would feel safer if they had this, then we want you to have the ability to go purchase that on your own. So we committed $2.5 million to them. Uh, I don't know the number that has been spent by our county, so I can't specifically speak to that. Uh, but we also had $2.2 million that we decided, listen, we're going to buy in bulk as many materials as we can to save our counties money and then, as we have talked about now, distribute that down to the counties. 
Uh, so we have not spent the total 2.2. Again, we're a month out, so we, we want to make sure we have enough. And uh, who knows what's going to come up. It's 2020. Uh, but the legislature also gave us a million dollars for our poll workers, uh, for elections commissioners. Uh, again, it's called pandemic pay. We want to reward them for coming out and serving Mississippians. Are the needs the same across counties? Or have you heard some counties may be wanting something specific that may be different from other counties as far as supplies? Yeah, so I think there's been a, a pretty consistent request uh, for sneeze guards, uh, the plexiglass uh, where they can put up when folks are coming to show their ID. They'll slide it right under the plexiglass so the election workers aren't exposed um, directly to, to voters. Uh, there have been uh, some requests for, for tents and for tables. Uh, one of the things that we, we didn't talk about and I meant to talk about, uh, if someone shows up on Election Day and maybe they have a fever and, and people are concerned they may may have COVID, who knows? Uh, we want to make sure that the counties were able to, um, again, not turn them away. It's a constitutional right to vote. Uh, so what you're going to see in some of the counties and probably most of the counties will be outside of the precincts. You'll see maybe a tent or a table, something outside open air uh, to make sure that if individuals felt like, listen, I, I don't want to expose anyone just in case I'm exposed or if I've been diagnosed in the last day or so, uh, where they can vote outside, open air, uh, and not expose any other voters to that. Just thinking about the uncertainty of that day, we know there are a lot of people who are anticipating November 3rd, but now that we don't have a mask mandate or just the idea that you can't force someone to wear a mask at the polls, there may be some people who, who may turn around. What's your concern about that? Yeah, one of the things that we focused on, and, and I really struggled with this, uh, dealing with our administrative rules for Election Day and uh, forcing our poll workers to wear masks. And, uh, and the question that, that you asked about, am I going to wear a mask when I go vote? And yes, I am. But we thought, listen, we have been consistent in our message from day one. We want Mississippians to understand the precincts are going to be clean and safe. So we felt like, again, with the public safety being so important to us uh, as elected officials. Uh, so I felt like it was um, a fine line to balance, but I also felt like, listen, if one individual comes to that precinct and they see poll workers who are not wearing uh, masks and who are not prepared to, to present a clean and safe environment and they turn around and don't vote, that's one too many. So we felt like, listen, that is a... Um, that is a point we want to drive home through our administrative rules. Uh, our poll workers uh, will be required to wear masks because, again, I think it's important to present a clean and safe environment for Mississippians to vote. Now, if you go to the precinct and you want to vote and you see voters in there without masks, I just encourage you to wait. Let them leave because when you go in, those poll workers will have their masks on. Is there anything I didn't ask that you think is important to add? Again, I think it's important to underscore uh, October 5th is the deadline to register to vote, so Mississippians have not missed that deadline yet. Uh, I want as many Mississippians to vote. Again, as I mentioned to you before, um, I want to make it as easy as possible for all Mississippians to vote, but you've got to balance that with the integrity of the election. And so uh, we're, we're going to do the best we can uh, for the time that we're given. Thank you so much, Secretary. Absolutely. Thank you. The deadline to register for the November election is today at 5 p.m. This election will be the final congressional election with Mississippi's existing House districts, which are based on results gathered by the decennial census. Trump administration official Wilbur Ross attempted to end the census 2020 count by today. But last week, a federal judge ruled the Secretary of Commerce's office must continue counting until October 31st. John Green is the vice chair of the Complete Count Committee in Mississippi. He shares how Mississippi has responded to the 2020 census. 
Well, our um, self-response rates uh, as of September 30th were 60%, which is people who, you know, actively participated uh, either online or called in via telephone or mailed in a questionnaire. However, the total enumeration rates was 96.4%. So that includes those door-to-door enumerators, the Census Bureau staff who go out uh, knocking on doors. Um, so that's, uh, that's good, but it it's, doesn't meet the, the uh, national uh, overall enumeration rate of, of nearly 99%. And, uh, and so we want to see Mississippians uh, you know, participate at a higher rate. Do you know how the response so far has, compares to 10 years ago? Well, in terms of the self-response, we're, we're a little bit less. We were a little over 61% um, in uh, 2010. Of course, the big difference being that there that there wasn't a pandemic. We had uh, higher hopes for the self-response uh, in 2020 because of the online option, which obviously would make it easier for at least some people uh, to participate. And actually, at the beginning of the pandemic, uh, before it really hit Mississippi, we were doing very well uh, relative to the rest of the nation. Uh, but then, as we saw things, you know, unfold uh, with COVID-19, we saw those participation rates. Uh, really plummet. Did you send out a lot fewer people into the field? So, uh, so the Census Bureau, um, you know, had the, the idea of being able to participate online. The the hope was then to be able to really target uh, resources and personnel in places that were um, that were not participating at as at as high a level, but. Uh, but there's a lot of people involved with the with the Census Bureau side on the staff, not just the door-to-door enumerators that we think of, but there were community partnership specialists and others doing, you know, kind of community awareness and, and education. And then there were also complete count committees organized in, in, in uh, communities around the state, as well as a statewide complete count committee that really focused on statewide coordination and messaging. And that's where I've been involved. Can people also respond on the phone? Yes, absolutely. The, the, uh, the Census Bureau, in their mailings and on their uh, website, one of the ways that people can participate is via telephone. And, uh, and so people can self, still self-respond uh, via telephone or online to, to meet this deadline. Explain the economic benefit for the state of Mississippi, for individual counties, communities. What's at stake? for residents of the state? Yeah, well, first and foremost, the census data are, you know, the census is required by law actually as a part of the Constitution for the um, uh, for our representation in federal government. Additionally, the data are used for redistricting, which is obviously important uh, for, our, for our political system. But beyond that, the data are used by law um, for determining eligibility and allocating federal funds. Uh, so for Mississippi, we think that translates to about $5,000 per person per year. And so if we think about somebody who's not counted, the state is leaving about $50,000 uh, per person on the table over the course of the next uh, decade. And so that's why the, you know, the rates are so important for all the different types of uh, programs and so forth that benefit Mississippi. And of course, in addition to that, the, the data are used by you know, state leaders and agencies, as well as by businesses, you know, trying to make a, trying to make decisions. So these are, these are the public's data 
they're used in a wide variety of ways. But, you know, for Mississippi, and, and arguably in comparison to a lot of other states, there's a lot more at stake for us financially. $50,000 per person over the course of a decade. That's that's a pretty strong incentive. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you know, we're, we're concerned about everything from the quality of education to, you know, roads and bridges, uh, you know, to uh, to how we deal with, uh, with care. Uh, and uh, every conceivable uh, agency at the federal level that uh, distributes program dollars, they have to, by law, use these census counts to make that determination. And, uh, and so it's, it's an astronomical figure for Mississippians. How can they respond either online or by telephone? So online, people can uh, just go to 2020census.gov and complete the questionnaire online. Or they can call the number, which is 844-330-2020. John Green is the vice chair of the Mississippi Complete Count Committee for the 2020 Census, also a professor of the Center for Population Studies at the University of Mississippi. Thank you so much, John. You're welcome. Thanks for giving this time. The Census 2020 Count will conclude October 31st. Coming up, members of the Emmett Till family receive a nomination for the Congressional Gold Medal. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, you get information about foods you should eat to stay in good health and tips on how to stay active. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, host of Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit and Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Listen to the show every Monday at 11 or subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy with your preferred podcasting app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. The Congressional Gold Medal bestowed by the United States Congress is one of the highest civilian awards in the United States. Now, Emmett and Mamie Till Mobley are being nominated for the honor through a bipartisan bill with 33 co-sponsors, including including Senators Richard Burr of North Carolina and Cory Booker of New Jersey. Benjamin Salisbury is the museum director of the Emmett Till Interpretive Center. He says the legacy of Mamie Till Mobley and Emmett Till is an integral part of our nation's story. First, uh, I think it's absolutely fitting that, that these two would be recognized at this time. I think it's, you know, long overdue and 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 I don't I can't think of anybody more deserving than you know, Reverend Parker, uh Willa Parker to to be receiving it. Tell us about Reverend Parker. You know, without a doubt I think he's uh, most well known for being um uh, you know, the one of the closest relatives well, a relative of Emmett, but also uh, with great respect to this story and narrative, to this narrative, you know, he, along with Emmett and the late uh, Simeon Wright, uh, you know, they were, you know, they are part of this tragic narrative, and and so um, uh, he he's a you know he's he's a gentleman to say the least, um, an advocate of 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 reconciliation and forgiveness and. Every time I've always heard from him and spoken with him or, or heard him speak, you know, he's always uplifted the importance of forgiveness. But also, he's also been one to, to uplift the importance of the truth being known and shared and to do that for the purpose of, of bringing people together and, 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 and hopefully impact society in a way that, that speaks to our better selves. Like he's always exemplified those characteristics and a lot more. 
it's hard to believe in a sense that Emmett Till was brutally murdered 65 years ago. And what led to the galvanization, really, of the civil rights movement was the act of what Mamie Till Mobley did. What did she do that caused such an effect across the country? She did a number of things, but I think one of the things most noted was was the the decision she you know she came to to um, to have an open casket funeral, right? Uh, you know, we've come to know you know by way of of, of imagery, uh, you know, of the brutalization that took place on on the body of Emmett, and and in large part that's because she you know, made the decision to share, you know, such a very personal tragedy with the world. Um, and, and so I personal opinion, uh, but I think it's one shared by the, by the center, uh, is that her decision to, to, you know, to have this open casket funeral and to let quote unquote, let the world know and see what happened to her son, uh, was a major push and, you know, towards, I think towards, forcing people to no longer dismiss the, you know, the vitriol nature of racism and what the worst of racism uh, can exhibit. And, and so she showed that or she shared her pain and sorrow with the world. And I think, again, that forced people, black, white, and otherwise, uh, you know, single, married, or whatever your socioeconomic status was, it forced people to not just hear another story, but to really kind of look at themselves in, in the pain of this mother having lost a child to racism. I think it may resonate as well, because I'm a mother, that he was really a boy. He was a child. He was 14 years old. Absolutely. What do you have at the Emmett Till Interpretive Center that people need to see, that people need to learn about Emmett Till? To be completely transparent, um, the Interpretive Center is is a space that that was intentional and it's designed to be one that respectfully forces conversation, right? Like, we don't have a lot of exhibits, so to speak. Uh, but what we have at the center and across the street being uh, the, the courtroom where the trial of J.W. Milam and, and Roy Bryant took place in September 55 are, um, are spaces where uh, visitors and others would come and we would converse about our, about our history. And by our, I mean Tallahatchie County and how... You know, fifty. You know, over fifty plus years, we were we were silent, and it wasn't until the mid two thousands that our community began a process to try to address you know racism and racial reconciliation and what that would look like. You know, we do have a few cutouts that again kind of speak to the actual trial and and some of the I guess feedback from from people from different parts of the country concerning the trial. But the exhibit itself uh, has has been us uplifting the importance of racial reconciliation with truth-telling and doing that by way of people literally talking about their experiences. Benjamin Salisbury is the director of the Emmett Till Interpretive Center. Thank you so much, Benjamin. Thank you for having me, Karen. Coming up, MPB Education kicks off a new classroom. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Should medical marijuana be legal in Mississippi? 
Voters will decide when they head to the polls in November. Two medical marijuana proposals are on the ballot, Initiative 65 and Alternative 65A. Join me, Desiree Frazier, for a special hour-long at issue. You'll hear arguments for and against both measures. Tune in to MPB-TV radio and online and calling your questions Wednesday, October 14th at 7 p.m. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. This is Mississippi Edition. I'm Karen Brown. Mississippi Public Broadcasting, in partnership with the Mississippi Department of Education, is launching a new television channel, MPB Classroom TV. The channel is designed to provide instructional content on television to pre-K through 12th grade students in the state of Mississippi. Tara Wren is Director of Education at MPB. MPB Classroom Television came about because we saw a great need in our state. There are many children that lack Internet access, and with the, the climate that we're in with right now, some children are in school, out of school, and some are having to learn from a distance and distance learning, and the technology just is not there. And with MPB's infrastructure and television network that can reach every household in the state of Mississippi, MPB Classroom Television just seemed like the right thing to do. This is for pre-K through 12th grade. How do you, I mean, that's a pretty wide gap. How do you do programming for preschoolers and then for seniors in high school? Yes, ma'am, that is a pretty wide gap. But we've been working very closely with a set of teachers and literacy coaches with MDE. And one of the things that they have worked um, tirelessly on is coming up with the most important lessons where the gaps are in learning without students in Mississippi. And they have outlined those particular subject matter areas and have selected lessons to teach and to put on the channel that will help fill those particular gaps. Because, as you said, um, pre-K through 12th grade is a lot. So we'll be mixing up some lessons that's led by Mississippi teachers Starting in November, we have some lessons that some of the, our other um, sister stations have recorded. We're going to start off with that in October, from math to reading to phonics, all sorts of things. But the ones that are very um, are most important, where the gaps are in learning in, in the students of Mississippi, those um, are what the MDE teachers and coaches have pulled out. Can you give us an example, just any example, someone turns on the channel, what they might see? Absolutely. It will be um, some high-spirited teachers maybe teaching um, a, a reading lesson or a phonics lesson, how to um, break words up into syllables and teaching the vowel sounds, long and short. So just it would be kind of like a teacher standing in front of the classroom, in front of their whiteboard or chalkboard with some demonstrations, things on the board, bright colored markers and and um, magnets that you could put on the television, things like that. So what a child would actually see in, in the classroom. And possibly down the road as we get to the older students, you will see demonstrations from perhaps a computer screen and things like that. So MPB Television, our production team, they're working 
in the studio and making this work and making it really pop just as if a teacher were standing in front of their classroom. Now, for someone to see this, it has to be on TV only. This is not available on the web. Well, they are immediately starting in October. We're going to start out, as I stated earlier, with some content that has been created from other stations. And so we will not have that content on our website. But starting in a, around the 1st of November, when we will start airing the local teacher content, we will have that on our website. It's going to be education.mpbonline.org, which actually we have a web page dedicated to it that's up today when the station kicks off, the channel kicks off, actually. And there's information on how to watch. There's schedule information on there, content information on there, and just a lot of details on there about the channel and how folks can watch and what type of lessons will be taught. Now, what about on television itself? What is the channel? What is the number channel? So I will give you an example. We're on a dot five. And as you know, MPB already has four television channels. What we've done is added a fifth channel, so it would be the dot five. So here in Jackson, where we are, we're on WMPN, and it's 29.5. And some folks will, if you have cable, you will have to go out and get a digital antenna that fits your, your television, and um, you will have to go to your remote control, use the input button, and click from cable to antenna, and you, they can see it that way. So if you don't have it and you're viewing television anyway with an antenna, you may have to possibly rescan. But all those details, again, are on our website at education.mpbonline.org. Tara Wren is the Director of Education at Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Thank you, Tara. Thank you. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio. 